0: I'd like to speak with you and think with you and pray that God will speak to us about staying rightly oriented in the journey of life. You'll notice in the illustration there's a human being with a compass in his head and uh, we need the right compass to navigate life and our Torah gives us a handle on that. First, we need to know that the Bible is a radical book. Radical means of or going to the root or origin. Radix is root. And the Bible goes to the root and the origin of our personhood and of our motivations. The, uh, the Bible is not just a book of, of, of pleasant thoughts. It's it, it, It pierces to the dividing of soul and spirit, spirit, the joints and marrow, discerning even the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible is living and it gets inside of us. It's supposed to mess with our lives. It tells us the truth about how life works and how it doesn't work. God speaks in commands, not in suggestions. Life has inbuilt consequences for good or for ill. All of this should not need to be said, but sometimes familiarity breeds contempt uh, and it breeds a certain carelessness. We think the Bible is there for us to get acquainted with it and to master its text and to memorize its verses. Well, all of that is very nice, but the Bible is really there to change our lives and to challenge our lives. So we need to remember that as we look at the issue of how our lives are oriented. Today's lesson is talking about how to be rightly oriented, about our lives rightly oriented. Uh, There are three ideas that we're gonna focus on. First of all, how our lives get disoriented. Secondly, the consequences of getting disoriented. And third, how to be and how to remain rightly, oriented. Let's talk for a minute about wrong orientation, which uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel of blessed memory refers to as religious behaviorism. In our Haftarah, we read this, God said, I didn't speak to your ancestors or give them orders concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. But of course he did speak to them about it. But he's, he's making the point that wasn't my point. It's not simply all about sacrifices. God required the sacrifices. They, they were in deep, 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 deep trouble if they didn't offer the sacrifices, but the sacrifices were not the point. The point was the relationship with God, which the sacrifices were meant to expedite and reflect. And uh, about Heschel's uh, terming this religious behaviorism, We read this religious behaviorism is that school of thought for which loyalty to the past, the mere routine observance of traditional law without inner conviction, is the be all and end all of Judaism. In other words, religious behaviorism is going through the motions, going through holy emotions, going to services every week, reading X number of chapters in your Bible every day. Those are good things. But if that's all that your religious life is about it's religious behaviorism and it's not the point this religious behaviorism refers to a judaism or a christianity that is all law all regulations and no faith in jewish terms it's what's called keva without kavanah keva is the fixed order of things keva is the structures religious structures but kavanah is our personal investment of where we come out to meet those structures that they might change our lives having keva having structures without having kishkes is no good so a right orientation we read about in the very next verse after that one where god says i didn't speak to your fathers about burnt offerings he says in the next verse rather what i did order them was this Pay attention to what I say. I love this. This is such a... The Bible is so succinct. Uh, It's extraordinary. Here it is. Pay attention to what I say. Then I will be your God and you will be my people. There it is, in a nutshell. Pay attention to what I say. Then I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what God is after. He's not after a lot of religious performance. And let me warn you again, it's not that religious performance is wrong, but religious performance alone is deadly. And that's the point. Let's talk about wrong orientation. He talks about a number of things in our Haftorah. One of the wrong orientations is spiritual deafness. And this is not just something that our ancestors had, it's something that we have. Uh, something we have to watch out for. They neither listened nor paid attention. They would not listen or pay attention to me, but stiffened their necks. They did worse than their ancestors. So tell them all of this, but they won't listen to you. Likewise, call to them, but they won't answer you. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not listened to the voice of Adonai, their God. They won't take correction, Faithfulness has perished, it has vanished from their mouths. We must beware of hearing the word of the Lord and doing nothing. Uh, We're going to be teaching on Wednesday night, starting this coming Wednesday, the book of James. And in the book of James, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's what this is in Jeremiah. It's uh, if we just hear, memorize, repeat uh, the words of, of the Lord, but we don't let them change our lives, we are spiritually deaf. We have not really heard. Yeshua said, let him who has ears hear. He who has ears, let him hear. And to hear is to really listen and apply. So the first wrong orientation, which is common, and it's periodic with all of us, is being spiritually deaf, not really hearing what God would say to you about your life, just hearing sounds. A second kind of wrong orientation is stubborn rebelliousness. They lived according to their own plans in the stubbornness of their evil hearts, thus going backward and not forward. Again, the Bible is so succinct and Jeremiah is absolutely, positively one of my favorite books. And this is just, this is pure gold. This says it all. They lived according to their own plans. Is that you? Is that me? Do we simply live according to our own game plan? Do we live according to what our mother required of us? Or our father required of us? Independent of what God might want of us. Do, what, what do we live for? Where, where do our plans come from? They lived according to their own plans and the stubbornness of their evil hearts. And we may think we're making progress, but we're not. We're going backward instead of forward when we ignore the will of God. A third aspect of wrong orientation mentioned in our Haftarah is false gods. False gods are bad orientation points. They're the things around which we model our lives. Money, sex, and power is, is where it's at. Money, sex, and power are the false gods that we often follow. The people of Yehuda have done what is evil from my perspective, says Arunai. They have set up their detestable things in the house which bears my name to defile it. They have built the high places of Tophet in the ben Valley to burn their sons and daughters in the fire something I never ordered. In fact, such a thing never even entered my mind. The danger of idols is that they become the structure of our motivation. uh, And we end up serving those values that are wrapped up in the idols. Bad orientations points are a spiritual disaster. Our Haftarans then after speaking of these bad orientation points it says that life has its consequences Uh, it's not just this is wrong it's that it leads to disaster death and degradation and the prophet puts it in very stark terms these are are gruesome terms they gross us out the corpses of this people will become food for the birds in the air And the wild animals no one will frighten them away in the ancient world the most ignominious end the most horrifying prospect of all was for a person to lie on the ground unburied and for the animals to eat their flesh and for their bones to be left there it was it it was the worst of the worst of the worst you find that joseph uh when he dies in Egypt, he says, look, uh, when you come out of Egypt, he says, take my bones with you back to the promised land. Take my bones. That's really, in the ancient world, the bones represent the essence of the person, of the human person. Take my bones back with you. 800 years later, Moses keeps that promise because it's so important that the uh, the bones should be taken and put in an honorable place. But here, Jeremiah is saying, the corpses of this people will become food for the birds in the air and the wild animals. No one will frighten them away at that time, says Adonai, enemies will remove the bones of the kings of Yehuda, the bones of the princes, the bones of the Kohanim, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem from their graves. They will spread them out exposed to the sun, the moon, and the entire army of, he- army of heaven, whom they loved, served, walked after, sought after, and worshipped. This is an ignominious end. And why is Jeremiah grossing out the people this way? Very simple. He's trying to get their attention. He's saying, you're cruising for a bruising. You're, uh, you're, you're on your way to an, uh, an encounter, to a rendezvous with disaster, and he portrays a disaster in the grossest terms possible. And for all of us too, we must realize that when our lives are lived irrespective of the will of God, we are cruising for a bruising. We read in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a person, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. In other words, it's kind of like driving your car, and you're going about 45, 50 miles an hour, and you turn down a dead-end street, but you don't realize it's a dead-end street. If you don't realize it's a dead-end street, you're going to be mashed at the end of that street. And that's what the scripture is telling us. There's a way that seems right. It seems good to turn down this street, but it's a dead end. So you need to back up and turn around. Then uh, our rabbis didn't want to end this reading in Jeremiah with such a downer. So they added these verses from the next chapter of Jeremiah, which is a final word about rightly orienting our lives. And this is also glorious. Uh, It talks about the motivations of people and the will of God. Here is what Adonai says. The wise man should not boast of his wisdom. People boast about how smart they are, how how clever they are, how successful they are because of their brains and their seichel. The wise man should not boast of his wisdom and the powerful should not boast of his power. The wealthy should not boast of their wealth Instead, let the boaster boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Adonai practicing grace, justice, and righteousness in the land. For in these things I take pleasure. I love that, says Adonai. We should boast in the things that give God joy. Now I'm going to tell you a story about this man and his wife. This is Samuel L. Jackson and his wife, Latanya. I read a story about them the other day. I think it was yesterday. And I said, this needs to be in this sermon. So if you hold on a moment, I'm gonna read you a part of this article which uh, came up to me on the internet. So hold on one second. There we go. There's a real lesson to learn here about wrong orientation and right orientation. Okay, hold on one second. All right, they met in college in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I I think they met on a plane going to hear Dr. Martin Luther King speak. After college, Samuel and LaTanya eventually moved to New York City to pursue careers in acting and found work in theater. Ten years into their relationship, they wed. So they'd been together for 10 years. After some prodding from Latanya's grandfather, I remember him saying, you're living with this boy in sin. You were not raised like that. And I am not well. I'm gonna be dead in a couple of years. So I suggest you remedy this, she recalls. In 1980, they followed his advice. And two years later, they welcomed a daughter zoe now they've been together for 51 years they've been married for 41 years which in hollywood is extremely rare extremely rare so they have some christian influence in their family life and we'll read more about that later but as samuel's life as his life as a father was beginning samuel was sliding into drug and alcohol abuse this is bed orientation isn't it he'd used drugs for years starting with marijuana and lsd but when he tried crack addiction when he tried crack addiction gripped him hard he kept working in theater and small film roles while struggling to be emotionally present for his family i had basically moved into the basement of our brownstone he says i was like a troll in the basement and every now and then I'd come upstairs and hover around and do something. I was addicted and being crazy. There is bad orientation. There's a man who is cruising for a bruising, whose life is not going to go anywhere good. The family hit bottom when Latanya and Zoe, who was eight, came home to find Samuel passed out face down on the kitchen floor. Latanya insisted he go to rehab and made calls to find him a spot. She didn't have to try to fix me, he says. She could have just said, get out, and left me into the world, let me go and be wherever I was going to be. But Latanya says, that was not an option. I couldn't do that. This is so touching to me. I couldn't do that because I felt as though God had spoken to me and said, now, you can't live this young man leave this young man like this give him some help and then if you feel like leaving afterwards we'll talk about it so you see what you have here you have two people who come from christian backgrounds who have some residue of christian values and you find this battle between wrong orientation disastrous orientation calamitous orientation and the still small voice of the ever-living God. It gets better. Almost immediately after he got sober, his career skyrocketed. Notice what happens when you turn in God's direction, things change. First came his breakthrough role as Gator, a crack addict, in Spike Lee's 1991 film, Jungle Fever, Things changed like wham! He says, I came out of rehab and went straight into jungle fever a week later. I was still detoxing. While his rehab counselors cautioned Samuel against playing an addict so soon after the treatment, Latanya knew the part was a good opportunity and encouraged him to take it. She was right. The role earned him an award at the Cannes Film Festival and led to parts in films such as Patriot Games, Jurassic Park, and True Romance. In 1994, Samuel's career reached new heights when Quentin Tarantino cast him alongside John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. He was nominated for an Oscar and became an even more sought after star. These days, Samuel is busier than ever. His films, including massive franchises like Star Wars, Avengers, and the Incredibles have collectively raked in nearly 18 and a half billion dollars worldwide, making him watch this, the highest grossing actor of all time. But Samuel is modest about being called a box office king. Coming from the kind of backgrounds we come from and the people that raised us, we learn. That we're not better than anyone else, he says. A job is a job. We were fortunate enough to have a job. Now, I'll tell you, that is hot stuff. And that is our lesson. That's the lesson that we need to take. We need to take the lesson of orienting our lives rightly, because... There's a way that seems right to a man. Uh, it's glory in your wisdom, glory in your power, glorying in your strength, glory in your might. It's money, sex, and power, but sooner or later you discover it's a dead end. But somehow, when you turn in God's direction, He takes you places. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in the sight of the one who is indeed our rock and our redeemer and god bless Latanya jackson and samuel l jackson may they go from strength to strength and glorify god in the years that remain amen